Hello and welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you have joined us uh, again today, or maybe for the first time to, to uh, ever. Uh, if that's the case, my name's Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That is my day job, which explains some of the things that if you're watching, you see here in the Rick and Bubba studio. Uh, but I'm also director for themanchurch.com, uh, which brings you this Wednesday Bible study. Uh, I know that men and women uh, listen and watch this around the country and even around the world. But here in the room, it started out as uh, just a, a Bible study for men uh, at the local church, and then it has grown into this national uh, campaign, a discipleship strategy for men, uh, to challenge men, but also to equip men and uh, and bring us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, just as instructed in the Holy Word of God. If you'd like to find out that strategy, and I will say since since this is men's ministry, fellas, go ahead and go to the website. If you'll just follow everything around, everything that you need to know is there. And then if you have questions, then you can reach out and, and we'll be happy to help you. Some of you are hitting the contact button and never going through the website. Uh, but the website really is because we set it up for you know to be man-proof. So if you just click on Get Started, you'll see the whole strategy. There's even videos at every step along the way where I come and explain to you what's going on. We even have videos that explain uh, what the topics of each curriculum. So we have uh, individual resources for men. We also have 40-week curriculum uh, for men. And uh, there's over 720-something churches around the country and around the world that, that are currently doing our men's discipleship strategy. And we certainly would love for you to join us. And all kidding aside, if there's anything we can do to help you, you can find that uh, there. And this Wednesday Bible study is also available. You can see, uh, you know, just click on the media button. You can listen to it or watch it. Uh, and uh, that those archives are available if you miss the live broadcast. Uh, the live broadcast is available on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Uh, at noon central, 1 o'clock eastern, every Wednesday. Now, there are some Wednesdays that are exceptions, and we have one coming up, which is very rare. But on July the 5th, there will not be a Bible study. So, men, don't don't come up here, uh, and I'll be somewhere in France. I'm not even sure where I'm going, but I'm joining my wife there for a vacation. She has been in Israel for the last 10 days, and um, she is going on to France for my vacation, and I'll meet her there. So y'all pray for us to have a great time of rest and relaxation and spending time together, uh, there there was the old story about uh, the pastor who was taking sabbatical, and uh, a church member came up indignant and said, Pastor, I don't know about you taking these sabbaticals. You know, the devil never rests, to which the pastor said, but Jesus did, and I'm not trying to be like the devil. Uh, so, uh, so he did teach us to rest and to rejuvenate, and sometimes we need to do that so we can continue what we've been called to do. Uh, so uh, that'll be a great time of rest and relaxation for my wife and I and investing in our marriage. So pray for our time together there, and please pray for travel mercies. Uh, when I get ready to travel and I think about getting on airplanes, the sense I have, honestly, is impending doom. So uh, so hopefully help me to overcome that. Uh, and as I was just told out in the hall by another man, says, Rick, make it an adventure. And it always is, whether I want it to be or not. So so uh, pray for that as I'll be heading out tomorrow. So there'll be no new Bible study next week. We'll come back, Lord willing, and we'll pick up uh, with the live Bible studies and the new ones on July the 12th. 
Okay, so uh, if you'd like to find out more, just go to rickandbubba.com. Uh, also on the YouTube channel, you can subscribe and you'll get a, an alert every time the new Bible study is there. Uh, we do have some man churches coming up across the country. This is the high challenge part of the of the strategy. This is us in events or in services for men. Then we come out of those events into our curriculum. July the 16th, a Landmark Church, Montgomery, Alabama. I'll be there. They're doing the strategy now. This is the next gathering for them. Crestview, Florida, they're doing the strategy. This is their next gathering. First Baptist Church, Crestview, Andrew Barbudas from our team will be speaking there. Emmanuel Baptist Church, also in Crestview, Florida. Man Church taking over Crestview. Coming up on July the 28th, uh, they're just getting started. Blake Prime will be there. And then Austin, Texas, City Reach Church. I'll be coming to see you, Lord willing, on August the 4th. Uh, so make those notes. You can go to themanchurch.com, find those under events, and uh, hopefully, uh, we will see you in all these different places that God is taking our team to and keep praying for us as we go along our way, reaching and discipling men just as instructed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into the Revelation. We're in chapter 14 today. We ended in verse 5. We'll pick up verse 6 today. Lord, thank you uh, for this opportunity to unpack your holy word. Help us, Lord, to see these future events and then, of course, as you have always intended, uh, we apply these events to what's going on right now, and today it will not be difficult. Uh, even though this is a future event that we're seeing, the birth pains that are preparing us for this event uh, can be felt even as we look outside the windows of this place right now. So help us, Lord, to uh, discern what you would have us take away from this. And if any of us, any of us at all, in the room, watching, listening, we are not in that place of peace that should be for all who have been redeemed, may we not be afraid to ask ourselves a difficult question. Maybe the reason that I'm not transformed into a new person is because I'm just lost. And today, maybe that'll be the day you turn that around. All our Lord is asking for is repentance and for you to desire to be forgiven, to turn from your sin, leave your own authority, and place yourself under his. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's let's look. Now we're you know we're back on we're timelining again now. We're back on the proper timeline. Today we'll do the Revelation 14, and we're only going to do verses 6 through 13. And what we're about to see now, as as John is seeing these visions, what we're going to see now is something called a special commission. Uh, you're, you're going to see three angels, and they're going to start, they're, they're all three going to have a different message. And, and we're going to take you to the time they're appearing uh, and they're commissioned with messages and announcements and warnings. And these announcements and, and these, these messages and these warnings are for the people who are still on earth. Okay, so the reason why that's pretty interesting to all of us in here, if, even if you're redeemed, I don't, do you know where you are now? You're on earth. Okay, now, now, now this is happening... Uh, to those people that are going through the Great Tribulation, okay? Um, for us, we need to apply this message to the world we live in now. You know, our newest curriculum is called Impact, and one of the things that Peter is saying in our curriculum that comes out of Second Peter chapter 1 is even though you've been redeemed, and that message, by the way, is to us that we're getting out of Second Peter, the redeemed, even though you've been redeemed, understand that you still live in a fallen world with a sin nature. So we still have a sin nature because the flesh is still on us, 
and you're living in a world that is still completely fallen and full of sin. And then Peter says, so make every effort because of that reason to supplement to your faith these seven things that you can find there. And the result of the implementation and making every effort to do that should be that you won't fall and you will be fruitful. Okay? So that's important. So, so I don't, don't ever get in the mindset going, you know, this is interesting stuff to hear and everything, but I'm redeemed and I don't think I'm going through the tribulation. I would agree with you, but it applies to today as well. Everything in the scriptures do. Okay? So, uh, so let's, look, let's, let's look at these proclamations uh, that come from the angel. Uh, the different angels. Angel number one is going to make a proclamation concerning belief. What, 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 and what is, what is this belief that, uh, that, that is before these people? So let's look at, uh, let's look at verses 6 and 7 uh, out of uh, Revelation chapter, four, chapter 14. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead. Now, here's some things I want you to underline. I've underlined all of 6 and 7, and I have written above it in pen, when this was unpacked for me, whenever the first time I, I, I had uh, had this unpacked, because I have written above this another shot. This is God in his grace. He's given these people another shot. This will be the final one, but he's given them another shot. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with, with the eternal, with an eternal gospel, underline that, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, and tribe, and language, and people. And he said, underline this, with a loud voice, and here it comes, fear God. First thing he says. And give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So this is during the Great Tribulation, uh, many, by the way, are saved by this tribulation and this proclamation. It's good news that God is gracious to those who repent. Now, if you, if you want to think about this gospel message that we're getting right now during the great tribulation, uh, I want you to take a moment, and, and, and this, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and one of my dearest friends pointed me to it and unpacked it for me, and it had such an impact on me that I cling to it. And oftentimes if I'm, you know, one of our devotions or somebody wants me to sign it for them, I'll put um, this verse. And, and it hasn't always been this verse. And, and that's one thing. Do you ever know something with somebody? Anybody ever, anybody, anybody ever ask you what your favorite Bible verse is? You ever get that? You know that's impossible to answer. Because you know what I say? Well, it's according to what I'm going through. Uh, I, 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 got, I, I have favorites for this situation, that situation. Uh, so this is one of my favorites, and it is in Acts twenty twenty four. I want you to turn to that. We unpacked this when we did our study uh, in Acts, which is also available in the archives if you missed our study of Acts. So I want you to go to twenty twenty four, because it is a great, great challenge to every person that is in this room or watching and listening. And this is from the Apostle Paul, uh, Acts twenty, verse twenty four. This is the English English Standard Version. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And look what he says he wants to do. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If I have not done that, 
the Apostle Paul says, if I have not answered the call to preach the gospel to everybody and anybody I possibly can, then I have, I have wasted my life. My life is of no value if I do not do this. Now, I want you to think about that, and I want us to ask ourselves a hard question. Everybody in this room and everyone watching and listening that has been redeemed has, have, have been given a course, and they have been given a ministry from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't do anything else, every one of us are to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And... What I love about this is, you know, he's talking to the leaders of the church at Ephesus when he does this. And can I tell you one of the things he tells them if we read on? And I've done that. And you may never see my face again. But when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not listened to this, your blood is not on my hands. I did what I was supposed to do. Now, what you do with it, I can't control. But, but that, So that's not the question. Not how successful it was, but how obedient we were. And, that, and that's the key. So here it is again, even at the end of time, when we're, 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 we're God's wrath is coming, the good news is being preached again, and it's for this situation, but it's for also all of us for any time, because the hour of the beast triumph, is happening right now, but the essence of the gospel is for any age, not just when the beast is triumphing. Because I, tri- I got news for you right now. The time we're living in isn't the tribulation, but right now there is a rejection of the gospel and there is a, secular, uh, a secularizing of the entire world. I mean, I'm about to go to France, which is a completely secular. Okay, and and you know we get in, and there's nothing wrong. I, I've done ministry in third world countries, but I'll be honest with you, third world countries are usually very, very receptive to the gospel. But first world secular countries, they're not very receptive at all. It's godless. It's totally secular. The, the church has no impact, and for, in many cases, it barely even exists. Because remember, France never even had a reformation. They rejected the church, and they want no part of it. And so, uh, so when, when you think about those kinds of places, you, you think, well, you know what? Even what these people are facing, meaning the beast, the Antichrist, is, is being triumphant and is ruling right now. There's a version of the beast that's ruling the time we're in right now as well. Just look around. Look at the depravity. Look at the rejection of, of the gospel. Look at the mocking of the church. I mean, we just had a parade that, that featured, even though Jesus doesn't love you, Satan does. I mean, this that's the time you and I living in, brothers, okay? That's not some wild t- thing that we heard about in the future. It's happening right now, okay? So the stage is being set for the beast, but here we're seeing the future when the beast is in charge. The nature of the gospel is what? Eternal. It's everlasting. And then what is the message? If you wanted to, if you wanted right now, somebody came up to you and says, "What is the message that God wants me to know?" You could look at this and say, "Fear Him," because what's the first thing the angel says? Fear God. You are living in a time, and I am living in a time where we fear everything except God. 
We fear all the things that we're told not to fear. We're anxious about all the things that we're told not to be anxious about. But we don't fear. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the world we're living in. I hope you do, and I have learned to, that we don't fear things that we shouldn't fear, but we absolutely fear what we're supposed to, and that's God. What does fear of God mean? It certainly means to have respect for God. It certainly means to to hold him in high regard. But don't skirt around the fact that if you go back and look at the original Hebrew, the first time we're being told to fear God, that word also means dread. It also means just being terrified of the wrath of God. I don't know why we dumb that down. It means that too. You don't have any sense if you're not terrified of the, of the wrath of God. It also makes you appreciate grace when you understand to terrify the wrath of God. If you're not terrified of the wrath of God, you don't have wisdom. You're foolish. And because you think this sin in your life's no big deal, it's a major deal. And so the first thing the angel says is fear God. What's the next thing he says? Glorify God. Don't blaspheme God. You bring glory to God by the way you live your life. You fear him, you bring glory to him. So let's ask ourselves that. Do we fear God? And then secondly, does our life embarrass God or does it bring glory to God? And that's one of the things I pray all the time. Lord, don't let me embarrass you. And convict me so that I don't go out and embarrass you by the way I, I don't act like some idiot, that I don't claim one thing and live another and embarrass you today. Don't let me, I don't want to let you down. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm, I'm giving glory to the one who gave me salvation. Somebody say amen to that. And so we're going to fear God. We're going to glorify God. And what's the next thing? Worship God. Don't worship things of this world. Don't worship anything other than God. Don't put an idol in front of God. So God is to be feared. He's to be glorified. He's to be worshiped. I'm a C student from Calhoun County. Is that hard for y'all to understand? Are you applying it? Am I applying it? I think think one of the worst things we could say is, I heard that very clearly. I completely understand it. I just ain't going to do it. Well, that's a whole new ballgame there. So you do understand it. I do. Are you going to do it? No. Do you fear God? Not really. Do you glorify God? Not usually. So where's worship of God in your life? Well, if I find time for it, it's not too inconvenient. I told you this new guy, Jack, God is using him. I can't tell you the worship that I'm getting through this new guy that came into faith in Christ with no garbage. No cultural Christianity, no belief in God, not the wrong belief in God, not big man upstairs. And when he's been redeemed, he he looks different, and the things he's saying to me convict me to the core. You know what he's basically saying? Why aren't all of y'all as excited as I am? And he's examining it. He said he he comes up and says, "I found this peculiar." Uh, you know, I told you about the thing about everybody coming in signing the row. He goes, "I've never seen him before." I said, well, people come sometimes. They don't come all the time. Really? He had missed since he's been redeemed. And, uh, and then he, the latest one, he said, you know what? That was an incredible message. The pa- you know what he told me today? He goes, why does the pastor feel like he has to stop so soon? <laughs> that just happened. He said, why are we limiting him on so much time? He said, I like where he was going. I hated he had to stop. I thought there was a, he had more to say. I said he did. He said I said, but it was gonna be you. It was gonna be you sitting in here listening to if he kept on going. <laughs> How sad is that? How sad is that? 
And, and, and so, and that's, that's kind of a Western thing. You go to third world countries, they stay in church all day on Sunday. You go to Africa, you better, you better, you better bring a protein bar. Okay. So, 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 so anyway, what he was, but he's truly perplexed by it. He doesn't fully understand it. What's all this regiment? And, uh, and then he said, I noticed that when we get down to the time when the pastor wants us to respond to what he says, people leave. He goes, why are they leaving? This, is, this all happened this week. I said, you know, I said, they're trying to get somewhere. But they're not, they're not waiting. To, I mean, isn't this when we're all going to take everything we just heard and respond to it? He said that. Not some guy that's coming to teach evangelism class at your church. He's figured that out. And I said, well, man, I, I don't know. Maybe sometimes I said, don't be too harsh. Some people probably have legitimate things. Don't think everybody doesn't care. Let's don't get jaded about this. Because sometimes people have legitimate things you don't know about. Sometimes people miss church for legitimate things. It doesn't mean they don't love Jesus or they're not devoted. So don't think that. But your questions are still valid. And, and then he said, he didn't sit with me this last Sunday. I'm texting him, Jack, you all right? What happened? You know what he said? I went to sit somewhere else so I could kind of watch everybody during the service. You know what he said? He said, you know, a lot of people don't listen. He said, I saw them playing with their phones. I saw them piddling with stuff. He goes, they were playing with their phone like while the preacher was teaching. I said, I'm sorry you saw that. He, he can't believe it because what he's saying is eternity is tied to this. I was lost, and I've been redeemed. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I've heard the greatest thing I've ever heard. This has radically changed my life. Why doesn't everybody think it's as exciting as I do? I said, well, you'll find some who do, so let's stay with those. Don't let these other people bring you down. But look, y'all, he's not being a smart aleck. He legitimately doesn't understand it. And some of it I don't have answers for, other than apathy. You know, so so th- this this is what we're hearing in this proclamation. Fear God, glorify God, worship God. Now, why is this important? This also applies to today. Because guess what's the counter to this? The Antichrist. And guess what he's saying? Fear me, or I'll kill you. Glorify me, or I'll kill you. Worship me, or I'll kill you. So these people, and we face this every day. This doesn't have to be a tribulation experience. Okay, but they're literally facing it. But we figuratively and literally face that choice. The world is saying, fear me, worship me, glorify me. And Christ is saying, fear me. Glorify me, worship me. And we got to decide which one we're going to do. Now, these people, when they make their decision, it's it's life or death. I'm talking about in the moment, it's life or death. And it may end up being life or death for us at some point. I don't know. I don't know how what's happening. It's kind of spiraling out of control a little bit, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. But because I'll tell you this, it's a life or death decision, whether it is here on this earth or in, or in heaven, I promise you that. Because it's going to be eternal life or eternal death. And, uh, and so this is what they're facing. So the angel is clarifying that the gospel, what, is also universal. Why? Well, look what he says. The gospel is universal. He says uh, that, that we, this, this includes every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. So let's clarify that. Is there anybody on earth that does not have to respond to the gospel? Apparently not. He said we're all being, not some people are being told to fear God, glorify God and worship God. Everybody is. 
We're all equal at the foot of the cross in equal need of redemption. So the angels here, though, interesting, you know, this isn't, these are angels. So the grace of God is something that the scriptures tell us is very intriguing to them because they didn't experience it. If you, if you went with the third that went to overthrow God and you went with Lucifer, there was no grace option for you. And when they look in at this, this message of grace, they understand the part about the wrath of God and the glory of God. They understand all that. But this grace piece is very intriguing to them. And so they, they're not really preaching the grace of God because, honestly, they don't really understand it. But what they are preaching is the government of God. Now, now angels marvel at the gospel of grace, but now the angel is given an opportunity to give a fragment of the good news, just a fragment of it. Now, this is what you love. This is kind of like what I just talked about, about the, the, the man, that newly, newly redeemed man. Once that angel is given just, I know you don't fully understand it, but I need you to proclaim a fragment of the gospel of grace, boom, he flies up there and says, I'll do it. Loud, I can't wait to talk about it. And here we are, fully understanding the gospel, fully given access to God's grace as the human beings, and our, and our response to it is, eh. We just abuse it. Take, just like Paul was screaming in Romans 6, you have not been freed to sin. You've been freed from sin. You don't go out and live a sinful life so you can show how gracious God is. He says, certainly not. As a matter of fact, you know, First John goes on talking to the Gnostics who say sin's no big deal. He's like, no, no, no. Anybody who says that they know Jesus and they do not obey his commandments, they are liars, and the truth is not in them. And so here is this angel saying this message is not a message to have an apathetic attitude about. This is literally life and death. And the God that I glorify and I worship is offering you people grace. Fear God. Glorify God. Worship God. Repent. The next news uh, of the gospel is described uh, in, in, in kind of a conviction, conversion, and consecration. Now, remember, he's saying a loud voice. Loud voice. Fear God, You know, as we know, which equals wisdom. The earth is full of fear uh, of all the wrong things. So fear God is what? That's a message of conviction. I'm under conviction because I fear God. Next is what? The conversion message. What does he say? Give him glory. So, 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 so I've got conviction. That's my fear of God. I, I'm a sinner. I need to repent. I fear God. That's conviction. I'm under conviction about my sin. He is holy. I am not. And then once I have been redeemed, what? Because of the transformation power of the Holy Spirit, I begin to glorify God as, 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 as what? Proof of my conversion. I'm not the way I was. I've been converted from, from, from the old life to a new life, and now instead of me glorifying self and glorifying flesh and glorifying the world, I find myself glorifying God. I've been converted. And then the next name, he says what? Consecration. Worship. We're consecrated. We, we are here to worship God. And let me clarify with some of the modern day hymns that are out there. God did not create did not did not create us so he could worship us. As you can hear some of this human-centered stuff that's out there right now. God's just enamored with us. And uh no, no, I'm thankful that God 
loves us. I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that his son, when he said, go and redeem them, he said, I'm here to do the will of, of, of my father. Look, Sherry just sent me pictures from her at the Garden of Gethsemane. I got news for you. In that moment right there, and the way we behave, the son was kind of like, look, I'll, I'm going to do this for you. I don't think I can do it for them anymore. But I'll do it for you. His sweat, his capillaries were bursting over the fact that he was going to go take the wrath of a holy God. And he went there because the Father so loved the world that he gave this Son, the people of the world, not, 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 not the ways of the world, the people of the world. But when it got down to it in that garden, and our representatives at the time were falling asleep and wouldn't even pray with him, and, and they still can't get who he really is, and when he's about to be abandoned by them, he's sitting there sweating blood about the wrath of God, and he asked his father, is there another way to do it? Let this cup pass, the cup of his wrath. Now, when he heard no alternative plan, he was resolute to the cross. But I, I'm telling you, he was resolute to the cross to fulfill the will of his father. He'd been telling us the whole time, I'm here to do the will of my father. I'm here to do the will of the father. We just benefit for his obedience to the will of the father. And so this is now worship of us saying what? Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are holy. We are not. You deserve worship. We don't. We have been convicted. We have been converted. And now we're being consecrated as you sanctify us and make us more like you. And what we do is we go to God Almighty and say, I'd rather you be something I'm more comfortable with. Why don't you become more like me, big man upstairs? And then he looks down, hopefully us trembling in fear, and says, no, I have to make you something I'm more comfortable with. You need to be more like me. I will never be more like you because I can't even look at sin. And if you try to stretch your way in front of me without the redemption of my son, I'm going to kill you. That brings you that fear of God again. Fear, conviction, right? Glorify, conversion. Worship, consecration. He's making us holy, and he can do it. So if we're not being if we're not being sanctified, it's not because he can't do it. I promise you that. So so when you, when you when you see this, when we think about worship, that last part, and it's one of the things I think that we struggle with the most, if we were being honest. What does this tell us? Our worship should be. It should be the highest holiest, joyful function of a rational, complete human being. This is the fruit of a regenerated heart full of wonder, love, and praise for God. I love this from John Phillips. Intelligent worship is the pouring out of one's being as a drink offering to God. Listen to this. Laying of one's life upon the altar giving back to God the life we owe that he purchased, that is saving faith. That's belief. When the Bible says, if you believe in Jesus, people say, well, I believe in Jesus. No, we're not talking about that. You don't believe that he existed. You don't believe what the demons believe and what Satan believes. If you want to know what redemption, the kind of belief that the Bible's talking about, you just heard it. The laying of one's life upon the altar giving back to God the life that we owe because he purchased us. That's the kind of belief that, that, that is redemption. My life is yours now. It is not mine. You bought it. 
When I was clinging to it, I was going straight to hell. That's the reason why Jesus says those who try to save their life will lose it. But those who will give up their life will actually have it. See, we always look at that going, oh, okay, so I, I, if I'm afraid to die for Jesus, well, that is part of it. What he's really saying is, no, if you're not willing to come lay your life down at this altar and, and give it back to me as a drink offering because I purchased it, that's what I'm talking about. If you're still holding on going, I'm not sure I really belong to you. I still want, I still want to belong to me. I'm still under my authority. He said, now that attitude to make sure you lose your life. And so that's what this, these angels are saying. And so we get another proclamation now concerning Babylon. And this is in verse 8. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Hello? So what's a sign of Babylon? Raging sexual perversion. That's one of the things you see. Anybody, anybody looking around? Anybody? Can y'all believe? Can y'all believe the things? Adrian Rogers, I know he's standing in the presence of the Lord. I remember hearing him say this. He said, as you move forward, the things that were in the dark alleys, hidden away, that were being done in darkness, will strut right down Main Street. Anybody looking around? So when you have the angel here in eight, this is this is the uh, th- this is not the the last mention of the word Babylon, but it is the first. Now we get to chapter 17 and 18. This name Babylon is going to be everywhere. But in this proclamation, what is it? It's anticipating the complete collapse of the political, economic, and religious system of the beast. The angel saying, You're going to fall. This is a warning to all alive on earth. I want you to listen to how much God loves us. This is a warning to all alive on earth who are going to have to make the dire choice. It's it's going to be in front of them, meaning you're going to have to choose the beast or Christ. That's coming for you. Don't you love love the fact that God is so wonderful that he, he cares about us enough that he will tell us a decision is coming and then tell us what decision we should make. Have you ever go, I don't know what the right decision is. Isn't it great that God goes, I'll tell you what the right decision is. You ever done that as a parent? Get your hand up if you got kids. Have you ever said you got a decision coming up, but I'm going to tell you which one's the right one? I've done that before. I'm even going to tell you. Sometimes they agreed, sometimes they didn't. And everything that I said would happen if they didn't make the right choice happened. And they look at me and I said, it's almost as if I was right. But, but listen, here's what God is saying through this angel. This is awesome. Think about this. A decision's coming to all of you that are still on the earth. Make the right one. Even if you try to cling to Babylon, listen, this is important. Do not miss this point. Even if you try to cling to Babylon to save your life in the present, it's not going to survive. You will attach yourself to a losing team. Babylon will not stand against God. Even though it's going to feel like that's the right choice to buy you some time, you will die with it. It's going to be a difficult choice, and you're going to choose, and you'll see before we're done, you're going to choose earthly death, but you're going to choose eternal life 
But if you cling to Babylon, you're choosing an eventual death and eternal death, eternal damnation. So he's saying that choice is coming. Let me let you know. I mean, I hate to use this analogy when we're talking about Christ because I know it's a horrible thing and it destroys people's life. It'd almost be like you come up trying to bet on sports and somebody saying, I'm going to tell you what team to go with because that team's going to win. And, you, and, and don't go with that team. That team's not going to – they look good. They, they, they're not going to win this. It ain't going to happen. So he's saying it's even though you're going to feel pressure to choose Babylon, it's only going to lead to destruction. Don't make that choice. So he's saying this is a proclamation about the choice to help them decide correctly. You know what he's saying? It's going to look like Babylon is going to triumph, but it will be brief. Be careful. Anybody here ever ever clung to something that gave you a moment of satisfaction and it just fleeted away? And then all the repercussions for making that choice were more severe than the moment of pleasure. Babylon's going to look like the safe place to go, but it's going to die. This thing that looks so good is only going to be brief. It's only going to be brief. Now the next proclamation concerning the Antichrist, the beast, himself, verses 9 through 12. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, that's the mark of the beast we talked about, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup, Father, let this cup pass, of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Wow. So this angel is saying... The mistake is unmistakable. Listen to this. Here's what the beast is going to say to you. Worship me or be doomed. Here's what the lamb is going to say to you. Worship me or be damned. The proclamation has two parts. Now, the doom of those who deify the beast. And the doom is twofold. If you decide to go with the beast, you deify him as God. You buy the false prophet. You buy this show he's put on. And you say, this is God. This is God. This is who I should worship. He said, here's what's going to happen. Undiluted torment will come your way. You'll be tormented by an angry God. And you will drink a drink of God's undiluted wrath. That's what you're choosing. Did you know when I studied this... You know, everybody talks about how the Bible talks more about hell than it does heaven because of the warning. Did you know this right here in the Revelation is the most unique proclamation in Scripture concerning hell? Think about it. It's so urgent. It's so blunt. It's so plain. This angel is not beating around the bush. He's getting right to it, my kind of angel. It, it depicts the horrors of hell with a fullness of detail that is rare in the Bible. And here's what the angel is saying. There will be no hope for those who worship the beast. They can expect nothing but the wrath of God, and again, undiluted. All grace is gone. 
It's like picture, remember that image I gave y'all? Picture the faucet of the church age and the grace age being turned off, and there's no more. So now here comes wrath without an ounce of grace. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. Not a good picture. Not a good picture. But he's not holding it from us. The second thing in verse 11, the undying torment from an angry God starts on earth. There'll be no rest. The days will be one long hour of anguish. The nights will be nothing but nightmares of torment. And then after you have suffered unbelievably on earth, guess what's next? An eternity of nothing but woe. It never gets better. This is your life forever. This anguish and this torment, it never stops. Even when you start thinking, thank goodness I'm dead, now your spirit just goes into woe for eternity. It's a never-ending death, but not a pleasant death, not a nice little go-to-sleep and nighty-night. It is nothing but torment forever. Hey, Rick, look, you're just trying to scare us. I hope so. I hope so. I hope it's scaring you. Because I'm going to tell you what, I mean, whatever it takes, and that's what he's doing here for you to go, you know what, I might want to really think about this salvation thing. I I might want to really consider redemption in case I leave this Bible study and I get out here and and look right, left, and forget to look right again, and I get T-boned, and all of a sudden I'm standing there before a holy God, and he says, I don't know you. I see you chose your earthly sin over me. I'm sorry. How long have people been telling you to repent? Have you got people around you that told you who I was? Yes. And you decided not to do that. You went ahead and picked Babylon over me. You wanted earthly pleasures. You wanted to do whatever you wanted to do. I was here to redeem you. I was actually here to give you a better life than what sin keeps giving you, even though you don't believe that. You never experienced the peace that only I provide, and you've decided that you did not want to give up your life, and just like my son told you, now you'll lose it. You didn't bring it out and put it on altar before me. You did not give me authority over your life. You wanted to have your own authority, and you have chosen to reject me, and so you have chosen anguish, torment for the rest of your days. But I told you. You ever done that before? Don't touch that. And somehow little children just touch it, and you go, I told you. I bet that hurt. I told you it would hurt, so you could have just not touched it. Right? So this is what these angels are trying to make sure everybody understands. And then 12 through 13, I love the contrast. So we've seen what happens to those that deify the beast. Now let's look to and see what, let's see what happens to the overcomer. Now these people have waited, and they have been through hell on earth. Okay, the 144,000 have redeemed a lot of them. And now they got to hold on. So here's what the angel says to those that hold on. In 12 and 13, here, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those, what, what does he call a saint? Look at that. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Remember Jesus in his letters to the church when he kept saying, now it's for, for the overcomers, now for this and for that. These had been left during the tribulation 
I will tell you this, I promise you, they regretted this being their plan. But God has still allowed people to come to faith, and sometimes the only thing that was going to bring them to faith was the, was the tribulation. I learned that through some of the horrible things that I have uh, endured here on earth. Those things that have been allowed by God many times, and I was told this by a man that is in this room, Rick, there are things and people that are going to come to Christ through this that weren't going to come any other way. And we've seen that over and over again, haven't we? Well, God's willing to do whatever it takes to give you your best shot. And for some people, it's a tribulation. For some of you, it's a tribulation you're going through here on this earth. He loves you enough to do it. So listen to the contrast. So first of all, he says, now, if you're still here, or if you're in a fallen world like we are, it's cause for endurance. Who does Jesus say are the people who love him in John 14, 15? Those who keep his commandments. So we, if you claim you love Jesus, but you don't keep his commandments, the scriptures say, well, we're a liar. Because if we really loved him, we wouldn't we would keep his commandments. We wouldn't reject him. Right? Uh, so then here comes the next thing. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And he says it again. Blessed indeed. That gave me a chill. Says the Spirit. That they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So the contrast to those who worship the beast, for those who overcome, says you're going to need endurance, continue to love Jesus, continue to obey. They will be resisted by the beast and all the mercenaries that work for him. They know that. They're being told that by the angel. Now, understand this. This is true. Other than the 144,000 evangelists, we know they were protected. So they lived through the tribulation. Not these people. They're being told that they should expect that when they keep Jesus' commandments and they keep their faith in Jesus and they will not blaspheme God and they will not worship the beast, they will be slaughtered in a thousand fiendish ways. You ever notice that? You ever read some of the wicked people throughout history? Killing you is not good enough. They like to kill you in creative ways. I remember I read... Um, a book on the Comanches, and they write about the Comanches that said they almost took pleasure in making you suffer. They wouldn't kill you quickly. They'd, they'd let you bleed out. They'd bury you with your head up, let ants eat you. You know, they'd, they'd slowly let you die, and it said they almost took pleasure in it. Well, you're going to see the, those that follow the beast, it's, and you've seen it throughout all these wicked people that have tried to take over the world. They do all these horrible things to people, the Holocaust, my goodness. And so what you're going to see now is you're going to see the, the it, they're probably not going to kill you quickly. You're probably going to suffer. You're probably going to be tortured. And he says, but, but, but when it's over, and it will be over, when your earthly death comes, you'll be transformed by God. This, all of this you've been through, God will take that and turn it to a blessing. The beast says, I'll make you suffer. You know what the overcomer says back to that? You'll make us saints. The beast says, I'll persecute you to the grave. The overcomer says, you'll just pro promote us to glory. The beast says, I will blast you. The overcomer says, you will bless us. To live as Christ. To die as gain. All you're doing is promoting us to glory. 
All you're doing is blessing us with your persecution. All you're doing is making us saints. So bring it on. You ever seen people die like that? I've seen it. The Coptic Christians, I watched them get on their knees and get their heads cut off in front of the whole world. You know what all of them said? What an honor to be able to glorify Christ in this way. You know what their family said? What an honor for our loved ones. There's no telling how many people will give their life to Christ when they watch our loved one refuse to reject him as they cut their heads off. You think that message didn't preach? Do you think anybody doubted their faith? There's so many glorious stories of the martyrs in our world. Skinned alive, disemboweled, crucified upside down, crucified, beheaded. Don't you love the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy? He knows it's over. I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. But I will receive the crown of righteousness from my Lord. I have fought the fight. I have run the race. And he lived out that Acts 20, 24 that he said he would. He died with no regret. I had a terrible, I was always passionately wrong before I was redeemed. But once I was redeemed, I took that same fervor, I took that same zeal and that I persecuted the church with, I repented. And the gift set that God gave me, I now use for the advancement of the very church in which I persecuted. That's transformation. That's Jesus. That's what he does to people. And at the end of his life, he dies with no regrets. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. I shouldn't even be an apostle because I persecuted the church. You think he didn't remember those people he jailed and killed? He said, that's why I work harder than the rest of them. And the only thing good about me is because of the grace I was shown by God. But then there's the challenge. But that grace will not be in vain. He will get a return on the grace he showed me. My body, my life will be on that altar because he bought it. And he'll never look at me and watch me abuse the grace I was given. How do you receive that challenge? Does Jesus look at the grace he's given us and go, well, there's no return on that one? I guess he thought that wasn't any big deal. He seems to have moved on back to seeing if he's done enough that he won't go to hell like a coward as opposed to looking up there on that cross and saying, you'll get a return on me. I know I can't pay you back. Not trying to. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient because I love you. I'm not earning anything because I can't, but I, but I can decide whether my life looks like I love you or whether I disregard you. And I'm going to say this from someone who's done it. I think if you disregard him, you've never been redeemed. You ever, you, ever, you ever looked at things like when Jesus said, anybody who won't acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before the Father, Matthew 10. What is that? What does he mean by that? You think some people go, well, does that mean you can lose your salvation? Does that mean that we're earning salvation? No, I'm telling you what that means. He knows that if you won't acknowledge him before men, you're probably not with him anyway. He's just saying that's a fake. 
What does he say? Only those who do the will of my Father are the real deal. People say all kinds of things about me. But if you don't see them doing the will of my Father, you know what one of the things we find in Scripture is the will of the Father, which is why I appreciate and love and, and, and I, I applaud your devotion to studying the Bible together. One of the things he said was a sign of his disciples, sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, continue your sanctification, which is the will of God. And Jesus said, only those who do the will of my Father are my true disciples. Everybody else is a fake. And that's what they're being told. The beast's rage against these noble martyrs will be in vain, and he will utterly fail at last. Look at 13. They will be rewarded. Their troubles will be over. They have earned the rest by their deeds. They haven't earned their salvation. Can't do that, but they earned their rest. They have persevered. They have overcome. They enter into perfection. God has provided the instruction. All who reject him do so knowing the consequences. We know. He's told us. Some of you out there, maybe you just heard this for the first time. I'm sorry you can't claim ignorance anymore. Maybe you shouldn't have dialed over here. But it was in the Bible anyway. You were going to be held accountable for it. Because it's been made readily available for you. All I'm doing is reading out the Bible. That's it. Just like Martin Luther said, you know, even... Even the little farm boy ought to be able to look at the Word of God and read it, not just the royals. And we got it. He's made, God made sure we got it. There it is. We got it. We all, there's a copy of it. You can find it everywhere in your own language, whatever. So the warning is there. So I, I, I think about what it says about that rest, and I'll leave you with this, and then we won't see each other till. The 12th, Lord willing, and I'll miss it. I, I really love this time together. And I do miss it when we don't do get to do it. That's why we don't miss it a lot. It's too valuable. And um, I don't know if you have this thing, but I have this. I, I, you know, I can knock it out of gear. My dad used to laugh and say, I never have to tell that one to stop and smell the roses. He seems to have that down pat. But 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 as I but as I've as I've gone on and through my sanctification and all this, I do like resting, but I don't like resting if I don't feel like I've earned it. That feels lazy. I don't like just to lay around when I haven't earned it. If I'm gonna take time and say right now I'm gonna rest, nothing feels better than resting when you've earned it, as opposed to just being lazy. And you haven't really done anything to earn a rest. You just seem to sit around all the time. That that feels. I mean, I really it'll bother me. I'll go do something. I I don't like the way that feels. I haven't always been that way. That that's part of it being you know the change that's taking place by Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with resting. I'm gonna go rest next week, but we do need to earn it. Jesus went away and rested, but he earned it. He told his followers to rest when they've earned it. We have a day of rest in a week. We don't have seven days of rest. We have a day of rest. 
There's a time to rest. And when we come into glory, he will give us rest, eternal peace. There'll still be work to do. We just won't do all this meaningless work that feels like it doesn't mean anything. Work is not cursed. Meaningless work is part of the curse. Having to go out and earn it, even when it's stuff you don't like, because you have to. All the work that we get to do in the new heaven and the new earth will be wonderful, glorified, and we'll be thrilled and joyful to do it. But there is something that is an earned rest, and these overcomers will get it. Paul got it. The question is, if, if God were taking to you, to you right now and giving you a time of, of rest, have you earned it? Paul said he was straining to the goal. He was pressing on. He never felt like he had arrived. And sometimes one of the most dangerous things that Satan will convince the followers of Jesus is to convince us that we're good. I've studied the Bible enough. I've worshipped enough. I've been out advancing his kingdom enough. I've volunteered enough. I've served enough. And now I'm just going to knock it out of gear. That's nowhere in Scripture. That's a concept that the world came up with. And trust me, Babylon loses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the conviction. I pray, Lord, that you do uh, personally uh, give Sherry and I safe travel to see each other, and we are excited about the rest that you provided. And I know I see my wife work for your kingdom, and I know she's earned that rest. And I hope that you have, can see in your heart that, um, that I'm not lazy anymore that I too am, 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 am developing into a person that maybe can earn a rest thanks to your power. Lord, you set the choice in front of us, deify the beast, and though it may cost us, the world may hate us, the world may even kill us, we get an eternity of perfection. If we deify you and refuse to reject you, though the world may hate us, we do not enter into eternal damnation, but we enter into eternal life. Mold us into the people that only you can make us. Pierce the hearts of those who may have heard this today and need to cry out to you, forgive me, Lord Jesus, for my apathy. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, for my sin. I repent today and I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I'm going to leave my own authority and present my life as that living altar before you that you purchase. Lord, will you please take over my life? I confess today you as Lord, not myself. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Please forgive me, Lord Jesus. If you've done that today or for the first time you've ever meant it, just reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com. I'm not getting on a plane till tomorrow afternoon. I'll talk to you today. I'll help you. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be part of something so wonderful as you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks a lot. Talk to you on the 12th.